Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. So what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Can I be a woman born in a man's body? Is it possible that God could have made a mistake when he made me? Is the idea of gender merely a social construct that I should reject in order to be my true self? These questions are the kind of thoughts that many teenagers and young adults in our culture are considering. People find it shocking to discover that those who identify as LGBTQ are on a sharp increase in Gen Z. Those who are discerning Christians should ask why, how can we respond, and what do we do to protect our children from gender confusion? My guest on today's show is Sarah Zylstra, a writer at the Gospel Coalition who has done excellent work investigating this topic to answer these questions. Sarah Zylstra is senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. She is also the co-author of Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age, and editor of Social Sanity in an Insta World. Before that, she wrote for Christianity Today, homeschooled her children, freelanced for a local daily paper, and taught at Trinity Christian College. She earned a bachelor's in English and communication from Dort University and a master's from Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. She lives with her husband and two sons in the suburbs of Chicago, where they are active members of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. Before we get into this episode, let me encourage you to subscribe to our email list if you have not done so already. Just click on the link in the show notes and you can sign up on my website so that you get all future content sent directly into your inbox whenever it comes out. Be sure that you're subscribed to Filter wherever you get your podcast, so that you can get all future episodes right on your homepage. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode or you were helped by it, let me encourage you to leave us a rating and review and share this show with your friends. Leave Filter a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. When you take these simple steps, it greatly helps us to get the message of biblical clarity out to more people. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this conversation that I got to have with Sarah Zylstra. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time. I'm sure you've got plenty on your plate. TGC keeping you busy with articles and whatever else it is you do over there. Tell us about what you do. Uh, what's your job yeah. at TGC? Yeah, so I have the literally the best job in the world, which is um, I find and report stories of where God is at work in the world. So anywhere that there's a place that the Holy Spirit is moving in a really unexpected way, because obviously we know God is at work everywhere all the time. But if there, if the Holy Spirit is doing something really unexpected, or there's something beautiful or an outcome that's astonishing that happens somewhere, that's where I'm trying to go to tell that story. Very interesting. So is there like any, any specific area that you're looking for those kind of stories? Or like, is it, are you looking for stories in missions, stories in the workplace, stories in politics? Like what, what is it exactly? Is there a scope or you just, is it a broad field? Good question. It's a broad field. I'll tell any story anywhere. I will tell a story of something that happens at someone's work. I'll tell a story all over the globe. 
um, any country, uh, if there's something. So you can imagine it has to be something pretty amazing to rise to the top. I, I can't tell every story. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm just telling the ones that are, that would probably make you think, whoa, I want to call my mom. That's the kind of story that yeah. I want to tell. Interesting. So how do you find these stories? And then how do you like filter them to choose which ones you're going to write about and which ones are, are neat, but just not for, uh, not for your blog? Yeah. So the ones that we write about are ones where it's pretty, it's, it's clearly a work of God, something um, supernatural is happening. And like I said, you, it makes you want to call your friend or it's something that'd be like, you know, if I ran into you on the street, I would just say, Hey, you're not going to believe this. Let me tell you this thing I just heard. So that's one of the ways mm -hmm. that we filter it. Um, we found them just by the beginning. Um, when I started doing this four or five years ago, Colin, my editor just knew of a couple. And so he's like, well, why don't you just start on these? And then the, we weren't even sure how, how far I would get. Like at some point, is it going to kind of die out and there wouldn't be more stories? Oh, us of little faith. Um, <sighs> there were always more stories. And the, the longer I do this, the more stories come to me because now people are like, oh, that's such a cool story. I know a girl who would tell a story like that. And so the more people mm -hmm. that I talk to, the more stories I'm getting. Interesting. And so you've been doing this for four or five years, you said? Yep. Yeah. And so were you uh, doing something else for TGC before that? Or is that what you, was that your role starting out? Yeah, it was. Um, before that, I was at Christianity Today for about 13 years. Um, and before okay. that, I was in school. So that's sort gotcha. of my, yeah. And I did a couple of, uh, most of CT, what I did there, I was a contractor. So I could also fit in some other things. So mm. I had some kids, homeschooled them for a while, uh, taught for a little bit at a local Christian college wrote for some daily newspapers, um, you kind of, kind of puzzle piece together, um, what you're going to do with your time in those little kid years. So about mm -hmm. four or five years ago, maybe a little bit longer, even I, um, came over to TGC full-time and I've been doing that ever since. Awesome. Yeah. So what do you think? So as a journalist, what are some of the, um, how, how does being a Christian affect the way that you do journalism these years in all these years, have you written for, both Christian and uh, non-Christian publications. What do you think makes your Christian worldview of faith unique when it comes to doing your work as a journalist? I think the Christian journalist has an enormous leg up on a non-Christian journalist because a Christian journalist knows what's going on, right? Um, if you don't have a foundation that you're standing on, if you don't understand why the world was created and how it was created and what it was created for and the, the larger scope of creation, fall, redemption, you are lost. Like something happens and you can't tell if it's good or bad. Something happens and you can't tell if it's big news or small news. Um, you're, you're just kind of uh, pushed around a lot by what people are screaming about at the moment. And I think having a Christian rootedness in being able to tell like, oh, that's, that's just not a big deal. Or, oh, this thing that looks small is actually a really big deal. Um, that is just a gift that only... I think only a Christian journalist can see mm. or be very hard. And so in your years of, <laughs> in years, your years of writing these stories for TGC, what are some that stand out? I know we're going to, we're going to get to uh, your recent article on uh, transgender phenomena among youth. But uh, other than that, before we get into that, what are some ones that stand out that you've, that have really just stuck with you and um, maybe even, you know, really challenged and, growing your faith as you've been able to research them and write about them? Good question. 
You know, what I did toward the beginning was uh, my editor said to me, find out what happened in Seattle after Mars, after Mars Hill fell and Mark Driscoll left. Like what happened to the, he had 13,000 people in that church. Did they all just walk away from the faith? What happened to those guys? Hmm. Um, I, I thought they all just walked away from the faith. I don't know what I thought. I just thought they disappeared. Um, but when I went over there and started talking to pastors, what happened was God was at work, even in that hard situation and every, not all of them, some of them truly did have a lot of hurt and walk away from the faith, but most of them landed at local churches and they had gone through a lot of pain, but they had also been well taught. So they came in asking good questions. They came in, um, well discipled in their faith. They came in with really good theology. They came in ready to serve. Um, and they came in loving Jesus. And so they were just, when, when Mars Hill collapsed, it was just like a water balloon popping. And then all those people just ran into these local churches and found homes there and just were a, a source of great encouragement and life in that whole area of those local churches. Mm. So that was just, it was encouraging to me and looking at a place where you didn't think there was going to be any good in finding some. Yeah. Yeah, and those are the stories after a big story like that that you don't really get to hear about. Yeah, you know, everybody hears about the the big explosion or the scandal, but not really how God uh, God's grace can come in and heal and um, intervene in the a- aftermath of the scandal. Any others that really stand out to you? Yeah, I just did one um, kind of along those same lines. Uh, you know, then I, after a while, like over the past year or so, I really wanted to look in dark places because I started seeing like, okay, if God is really at work everywhere, is he in the darkest place? So I don't know if you remember when Afghanistan collapsed last year um, and, the, and the airport. Don't know if I remember. Time. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that one time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That, and it was just a disaster, a wreck. But we knew some people who were working out in that area, actually in the United Arab Emirates. And I, and I knew hmm. that they worked with a lot of people in the larger region. So I asked if they knew anything. And they said, we have a story that's unfolding right now. Check back. And I kept checking back and I kept checking back. And eventually I got to tell the story um, this spring in a um, an audio story. It's called Escape from Kabul. And it's basically the story of this Afghan house church network, which had been growing um, so unexpectedly because there's really never been, even when the Americans were there, there was never a chance for missionaries to come in openly. So everything had to be done secretly and they were persecuted violently. Um, and still mm. it was growing. And they had been connected um, a couple years back with these missionaries that we knew who were in the United Arab Emirates. And those missionaries, most of them had come out of um, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, um, where Mark Deverbridge is. And mm-hmm. so they, uh, and they had been working on the Hill before they became missionaries and moved out here. And so when everything was collapsing and falling apart, it was just this beautiful picture of these Afghan Christians who were trapped but who were connected to and loved by missionaries in Dubai, who were connected to and loved by churches and senators and people who worked on the Hill in Washington, D.C. And to see the way that they could operate and and work to pull these Christians out into safety was just gives me goosebumps the way that God moved all the pieces in the exact right way. Wow. That wow. That sounds awesome. I remember seeing whenever that story came out, but... 
I'm sad to admit I did not. It's an audio story you said, or is there video content too? Um, it's audio. It's a podcast. An audio story. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't listened to it, but uh, I'm going to include it in the show notes. So, so for anyone who's interested in hearing that story, I know I'm going to go listen to it now. Uh, but anyone who's interested in hearing that story, I'm going to have it linked in the show notes. So make sure you guys uh, go check it out there. Um, but yeah. So that sounds great. I reached out to you to talk about this uh this other recent article you had written i i, I say recent uh this this was probably maybe a month or two ago now that this one had come out um right. on uh transgender youth and sort of the phenomenon that we've been seeing of uh you know these youth in high schools uh in different communities around the country all coming out and declaring that they are now uh, transgender or non-binary or, you know, something else, uh, along, along those lines and, uh, you know, wanting to make all these lifestyle changes and then the reactions of parents and so on. Uh, it's an excellent article. How did you come across this story? Yeah. You know, we weren't actually looking for this story. What I was looking for was, ad was advice. Um, the gospel coalition exists to help and support the local church. And we could see this phenomenon like you did. Um, and we could, we were hearing from pastors um, who would have a person or two in their church who was transgender or more likely the parents of a person who is transgender. And they were trying to walk with families through this. And so we mm -hmm. were trying to find like reap wisdom, like talk to pastors and say, what are you saying? What's helping? Um, how can we share, you know, kind of find uh, together best practices or, or, you know, advice that we can, that we can help each other through this. Mm -hmm. um, it was hard to find from the pastors, honestly, because it's just so new. Um, honestly, this this phenomenon is just a couple of years old, and so it's it's hard to see how it's going to play out, and it's very difficult for them to figure that out yet. But one of them said to me, "Listen, there is a woman in my church that you should talk to," um, and that was Eva. I call her Eva. Her, their names have been changed in this story because um, there there's a lot of transgender activists who wouldn't like this story. Yeah. Um, so we, we wanted to keep them a little bit protected. And yet she told me a story that was um, phenomenal and, and so, so encouraging and hopeful. And so that's why I knew we had to share that one. Yeah. So for those who haven't read it yet, it'll also be linked in the show notes. So you guys go read the full article after this. For those who haven't read it yet, go ahead and just tell us the story. Take your time. You know, tell us whatever, uh, as much detail or, or little as you want, you know, leave for them to go read later. Um, and yeah, you know, how it unfolded and what you learned, uh, and, and whenever you were getting to know Eva. Okay. I can talk for a long time. So just interrupt me if you, if you have questions or I'm going to. Okay. Um, so there was a girl called Grace, not her real name. And she was about 11 or 12 years old. And she wanted to go on a website called Deviant Art. It's a social media website and it's a place where people share art with each other. And her mom mm -hmm. thought that was fine. So she, she got on this website and um, shared her art and in the process of doing so ran into a pretty thriving LGBTQ community online. And they told her about stuff like transgenderism. And when they first told her, she didn't even know what that was. And so she asked them and they said, oh, it's when a girl can be a boy and a boy can be a girl, or you don't have to be either one. You could be something else. And so she asked her mom about it and her mom um, who is a faithful Christian. They've got her parents love Jesus. They love each other. They take her to church. They're, you know, they're involved. They're just as, you know, gospel centered as you would imagine or would love to be. 
um, her mom said to her, you know what, that's not how God planned things. She took her to the Bible. She explained things to her. And then Grace went back to um, the internet and told her friends there, oh, I don't think transgenderism is right. And this is why um, I believe God made us male and female. Well, her mom got a little bit scared and thought, "Uh oh, I think she's going to get bullied for this. Um, Mm. But she didn't. Instead, her friends online and her friends at school invited her to a group that met at lunchtimes that's called the Genders and Sexualities Alliance. And in Grace's school, that means that for an hour at lunch, I think it's once a week or once every other week or so, there's they meet together and they talk. In Grace's school, this is unsupervised, although in some schools it's supervised by a teacher. And you talk about your body, you talk about sex, you talk about all manner of different kinds of sex, um, you talk about how uncomfortable you feel, you talk about ways that maybe, you know, you could feel different in a different kind of a body. And, and this is in a uh, public or private school? Public school. Public school? Yeah. Um, And so they, um, after a while, Grace, who was 12 and who did feel uncomfortable in her body because she was 12 um, Mm -hmm. and every 12 year old feels uncomfortable in their body. And also because when she looked at the other girls in her school, the way they were dressing was pretty sexy. They had pretty tight clothes, pretty short clothes. um, And she didn't like, she felt uncomfortable with that. And so she started Mm -hmm. to think maybe I'm a gender, like maybe I'm genderless. Maybe I'm, you know, that's kind of seems like where I I think I fit. Um, But then after a few months or even weeks later, she started to think, Hey, maybe I'd actually like to be a boy. Cause one thing they talked about in their group was how, if you just took some hormones, you could become another gender. Hmm. They didn't talk about, I don't know if they didn't know. I'm assuming they just didn't know all the many, many problems that come along with hormone therapy and medications and all the ways that it messes up your body sometimes many times permanently and severely all they thought she literally just thought like i could take some pills or i could have some shots and i could be as tall and strong as my brother and wouldn't that be awesome i think that's what i would like to do so she told her mom um emailed her her mom was at a church lunch when she got it and she said i'm a boy and i and i want my pronouns to be they and them and her mom just could not believe it this was just a couple months after she had written that thing on on social media. And so she just, the turnaround time of that was so fast. Um, she just felt like she got punched right in the gut. Um, Mm. it just made her sick. She's like, I couldn't even sleep. I was so worried about this. And so I felt so much stress about this. And this was a couple of years ago. So while there are few resources now, there were even fewer resources back then. Yeah. And so, so in these few months, she, she's 12 years old, you said, right? So she's in middle school or so Great. Mm-hmm. had started going to all these meetings where they were discussing these things, even encouraging her to possibly look into hormones mm-hmm. this whole time. The mom had no idea because there was no supervision. There's Is that no right? Supervision. And they don't like a lot of times if you're in school, they say, Hey, will you, if your kid wants to be in French club or chess club or something, you have to sign up, but that's not how this club works because mm-hmm. there's a fear that the parents will want to stop the kids. Right. Cause we live in this place that seems like, Oh, the parents are against us. They're, they're going to want to stop you from going, stop you from exploring who you really are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to have a shield between the children and their parents. And that's mm-hmm. how the GSA club that's kind of the mentality there. So they, they also don't yeah. keep record of who's been there because they don't want when the parents call, they don't want to be able to say, oh yeah, your kid was here or not. They just say, 
sorry, we don't know who is here or not. Yeah. Okay. They're protecting the children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From the kids. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So here she is. Um, she doesn't know what to do. Um, she, she asks this, the mom asks the school counselor. She talks to the principal. She talks to the pediatrician and she hears over and over again, the same line, which is if you don't affirm, then your child will commit suicide. You can either have an alive son or a dead daughter. They say to her, and she's just, she has a background in psychology and education. And she's like, I could think of 15 reasons why my 12 year old girl would feel uncomfortable in her body and wish that she could be a boy other than that she actually is a boy and that I have to affirm her or she's going to commit suicide. I, this just doesn't feel right. And it felt even less right. Um, she finished seventh grade year and they went through the summer and she was, um, she became a lot less militant and a lot more relaxed about it. And her mom thought, Oh, we're coming out of it. This is going to be okay. She's kind of starting to come back to herself. And then she said the first day of eighth grade, she was right back in it up to her neck. Like she just was militant and strong about it again. Um, and that's when her mom bought a book on how to get someone out of a cult. Hmm. So, um, there's a, there's a couple mistakes, um, that, that, Eva will tell you that she made. The first one was allowing Grace to ever get on that social media site and the web, website in the first place. And the second one was they left her in school again for her eighth grade year in that same school she was at before. Um, and for Grace, this was awesome because um, she's on the autism spectrum and she was a little, she felt socially awkward before, but she said once she said she was transgender, it was like eating the the mushroom in Mario Kart, which makes you become invincible. Like you are just, it was like she had superpowers. Now she was popular. Now the kids would come up to her and say, we're so proud of you. We love you so much. You're so amazing. You're so brave. Um, mm. She could talk to anybody at any time. They, would, they were seeking her out and she just felt like she was on top of the world. So wow. Imagine how difficult it would be to remove her from a situation like that. Yeah. And yet the very first their very first rule of getting someone out of a cult is to remove them from physically from as much as you can from the situation that they're in. And yeah. so after, um, after the finishing of her eighth grade year, her mom said, listen, you're not going to go back for high school. We're going to do some homeschooling. And so she took her out and she started to homeschool her for high school. The second rule of getting someone out of a cult is to build really healthy relationships with them. And this is something that homeschooling also helped with because now you're talking about English and you're talking about math and you're talking about science. You're not just fighting over gender. You're talking about a whole bunch of different things. You're going on field trips together. You're cooking together. You're just building up these other healthy, good relationships around it. Mm -hmm. And then the third principle of getting someone out of a cult is to ask them a lot of questions. And they were asking her a lot of questions, but she couldn't hear anything that they were saying. And in some of my other research, um, parents said the same thing. Like when they were trying to engage their children on this issue, they just, the kids would say back to them, it, you know, almost like a script, um, trans women are women or trans rights are human rights or love is love. Just like a slogan that you might see on a sign, but that's, it's just the, the language that's in their head. That's just coming out. And it's just sort of a barrier yeah. to any sort of real engagement with what's going on. Yeah. Thaddeus Williams, uh, another TGC writer, he, uh, talks about that as like an operating system. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, he says that there's this operating system that comes with these ideologies where uh, just like with an operating system with a computer or iPhone, you put in X and it gives you Y, you know, you put in S, it gives you T. And, you know, so that's how they're taught how to think. And he said, you know, if you just have like these like 12 or maybe even less than that, maybe it's just like four or five different responses, then you can shut down everything anyone says to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's what she had as well. But, um, her mom put her in a homeschooling group. Um, and the the kids in there were pretty, were more conservative and they started asking her questions and even it could be the same question that her mom asked her, but you know, when you're at this point, 13 or 14 or whatever, you can hear it right from your peers. You could, she could hear it. And so she started, she thought, I'm just, you know what? I'm right. They're wrong. I'm going to research the snot out of this. And I am really going to make sure irrefutably prove that this is okay. And that this is, you know, accepted and, and good. And she researched and researched and researched and, and along the way was like, I can't prove that this is logical. I can't prove that this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. What if I'm wrong is what she started to think as, as time went along. Um, probably about this point is when she started to what her mom calls boomerang. And so she would like sort of, she, she would like go get her nails done or something with her mom. And then the next day she'd write and her mom would be really excited. And the next day she'd write he, him on all of her nails. And so she's like sort of (laughs) swinging back and forth between Mm -hmm. uh, feminine stuff and then back into masculine and feminine and back into masculine. Um, But her mom said, that's actually a hopeful sign now that they've talked to other families who have done this too, she's like, well, we see this a lot. Actually, if someone's about to desist or come back to their original self, then they, then they're, they start to boomerang like that and go back and forth, mm-hmm. which is what happened. Wow. To her. And then eventually wow. um, she was on a walk with her dog. One interesting thing is that she never lost her faith through all of this. And so she, she said, this is what I told myself. God made me meant for me to be a boy. In, in God's good plan, he, I was supposed to be a boy, but because there is sin in the world, that's how I accidentally got put in this wrong body and it's broken and fallen, but that's, hmm. you know, how I'm here. But she was on, she had a little, she had a job where she walked her neighbor's dog and she was on a walk with her dog. And at this point, we're about two years in now. Um, she said, I was praying and I knew I couldn't be a Christian and transgender at the same time. I knew I would have to pick. Hmm. And so she said, God, fine, whatever, I guess I'll be a girl. And within a week or two, all of her um, transgender feelings had disappeared. I don't want to say this as a prescription um, because I don't think that's the way it happens for everyone. But in this case, that's what happened for Grace. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I have never heard that rationalization before that you shared uh, that she had about how God made me this way, but sin came in because I think from a more orthodox position, we've always explained it the opposite way. I know the, the gender that you're born with is God who intended you to be. It's the fallenness of our world that caused you to struggle with that. But she turned that on his head. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've never heard that. I wonder if that's something that someone told her or, um, do you know, is that something that, that, that she learned from somewhere or, or is there, um, you know, maybe some more progressive resources out there that are teaching that. 
I don't know. Or did she just come up with that? that? But she goes to a church with reformed theology. And so, and you can kind of see it, right? Like the doctrine of depravity, like you could sort of see how she could get there from like, oh, everything is broken. Oh, we're working toward the redemption of all things. Like wouldn't me taking hormones be working toward the redemption of my body? I can kind of see how she would, could shoehorn that in there. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that. And so how long ago was the uh, sort of the resolution of this story? It's been a couple of years now. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. So do you know, like, what is, what has life been like for Grace since then? Mm-hmm. Since uh, detransitioning, which, which she never really fully transitioned other than changing her pronouns. But do you, do you know what the kind of the, the epilogue for this story has been? Um, so she is still homeschooling and she says to me that she is much, much happier now, um, in her girl body. She is, I think, um, maybe angry is not the right word, but definitely speaking out against the manipulation of the worldview of transgenderism. Um, it, it feels like, you know, a a lot of lies that were told to her. And that's Mm. um, frustrating. Um, You know, thinking about colleges, like every other normal girl her age, um, her mom said when she first said to her, okay, I'm back to being a girl, she didn't trust it quite at first. Like when someone gives you really, really good news and you're like, "Mm, I'm I'm not exactly sure. So she said it took a couple weeks before that, that really sunk in. I think what made her detransitioning easier is that her parents gave as little ground as they possibly could. And so they would call her by the nickname that she had chosen for herself, which was gender neutral, but they didn't call her they and them. They said, we're going to stick with your original pronouns. The, the line that they drew, they said was, um, we're not going to be deceptive. So yes, you may wear baggier clothes. No, you may not wear a man's suit. Yes, you don't have to wear a dress to church, but you have to go to church. Um, we'll call you this name, which is a gender neutral, you know, nickname because a lot of people have nicknames, but we're not going to call you a different pronoun. Like they just, they held her pretty close. Um, and, and the more her, um, one pastor I talked to named Sam Ferguson said that he counsels that as well, because every inch that you give, you then have to fight back if your child is going to desist. And so the mm-hmm. fewer changes you make, the fewer battles you have on their way back. Which yeah. Is interesting. Yeah. 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 And then praise God, you know, since she had good parents that uh, she wasn't allowed to go on any kind of hormone therapy, which is almost impossible where there's sometimes where sometimes there's no coming back. Yeah. 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 So have you, have you in researching this story encountered similar stories other than grace? Um, I, I am hearing from a lot of parents, but the parents I'm hearing from are mostly saying that they're still no, not a lot of them have desisted yet. They're still in Mm -hmm. that stuck phase of the transgenderism phase. Many of them say to me, the two things that Eva pointed out as well, social media is a huge, strong influence. And the social peer pressure at their public school has been a really big, strong influence. The parents I hear from um, almost always have those two things in common. Mm. So. so I think it's, it's interesting from what I've read, historically, 
those who were, uh, they used to be called transsexuals, those who identified with the, uh, with the opposite gender and would maybe, you know, cross-dress. Uh, historically, it was always men who would, uh, who would identify a, a, as women. Um, but now what we're seeing today is we're seeing that, um, that, that trend actually reverse. And now it's far more likely to be women who are identifying as um, transgender or non-binary. And then on top of that, it's young women and it seems to happen in clusters, right? It's like at, at one public school or one community here and there, it starts with a couple and then just explodes. And so people are arguing, you know, is, is this just the trend of humanity um, or is there something social that's happening? In your research, looking at this story and others, what kind of insight can you give there to how this phenomenon is spreading and what's driving it? There is definitely, without a doubt, a social component here. Um, there is, you know, if you, if you, even if you look at the numbers, so I'm in Gen X and 5% of my generation is part of the LGBTQ community. Gen, uh, the millennials who are one step down from me, 10%, so doubles. The Gen Z, which is 25 and under, 20% identify as LGBTQ. There is just no medical way that you go from a 5% to 20% of the population in such a short amount of time, like biologically speaking, that's just illogical. Um, so, mm -hmm. and, and you can also point to the other factors, certainly the social media and the public school system. I mean, what's, what we're seeing there is girls together, right? And so, and we know that girls are, are influenced by each other. We've known this for all of time. Um, we even can see this in trends of like a high school where a lot of girls get pregnant around the same time. Like they wear the same clothes, they go to the bathroom together. If one of them, um, they just, there's a lot of for good and for ill influencing of each other in that, especially at an age when you're in middle school and high school. So I, I, that's definitely just, that's just true. Mm. Yeah. And so what are the, some of the best ways that parents can uh, protect their children? You know, let's, we can talk about how we respond once a, uh, a youth, a youth, I sound like an old person, <laughs> once a young person, gosh, I can't believe I just said youth. Uh, once, <laughs> so, once a, so once a young person uh, says, you know, I, I'm transgender or non-binary, then we're, we got to be reactive. But if we're going to be proactive and protect our children um, against these ideologies, which are just being crammed down from all over the place in our culture, and, and talking to these parents, listening to these stories, what are some of the key things you've learned that families should be doing, parents should be doing to be proactive in protecting our children? Yeah. One thing that I'm observing is that it is way, way easier to protect your child up front than it is to pull them through a, a desisting or a coming back from this. It is so incredibly difficult and painful and heartbreaking when your kid comes to you and says, I, I decided I'm transgender. So it, it's mm. a, so much easier if you can to catch them before that. The main two things, as I said, that I'm seeing, which I, I would caution parents to be really careful about are social media use, especially among girls. Um, are they on? You pre If they are and they're trying to hide from you, they can and they will. Grace, her parents pulled her off of social media and she started using a Google Doc 
like she would just have a Google Doc, but you know, anybody can write on a Google Doc. And so once you share it with your friends, they can all write on there with you. And so it's hmm. very easy with a phone or a laptop to connect to, to people that you don't think they're connecting to. One of the things about this movement is that they position kids against their parents, right? Like parents are the enemy, even the whole drama around coming out. What will your parents say? Um, there's that kind of an excitement to that. And so that's, you know, they're, that's, they're going to be hiding from you. Basically, they're going to be hiding from you and kind of positioning you as someone who doesn't love them, especially if you won't um, acquiesce to all the things that they want you to do, like use their other pronoun or have, have hormone therapy. Um, so I would be just be exceptionally careful about social media. I would also be exceptionally careful about public schools. Um, know what's happening in your public schools. Get into your public schools. Volunteer. If your kid's out of school, um, volunteer there. Be the lunchroom monitor. Try and get in as much as you can to see what's happening. They're not going to always tell you what's happening. Um, and there's a lot of social pressure there um, that you're going to want to keep an eye on. It is worth it, even if it's hard to, to move your kid if you, to a different school system or to start homeschooling them if you feel like they're becoming vulnerable to this or, or facing a lot of pressure on this. I just, I know it seems like a lot of time, effort, energy, and money, but truly, um, if you could protect them in that way, then it's, it's worth seriously considering and I would do it. So those are the things I would caution. And then if they do say something to you, give as, as little ground as possible and pray like crazy, um, build your relationships with them as well. Be, be um, not friends with them per se, but be their parents. Talk to them, know what's going on, pray with them, pray for them, um, surround them with other good and healthy friendships. Just be their, be their mom, be their dad. Yeah. Yeah, maintaining that open relationship so that they are never ashamed to tell you anything. Yeah. I just, my, my kids are super young. They're still um, five and three. But one of the things that I've tried to work on as soon as they reach the age, we really start disciplining. You know, because we're there, baby, you don't really discipline. They don't know the difference. But around close to two and so, then you can start disciplining. But anyway, and so one of the main things that I've always been concerned with is that whenever I discipline, I want to you know, address the behavior, the heart behind it. But I also want them to talk to me no matter what they did to talk to me about it. You know, there, I remember times where they want to pull away, but I wouldn't let them say, no, 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 you're going to, you're going to talk to me about it. And you're going to see that like, even though dad doesn't approve, dad's not going to hurt you. Right. He's yeah. not going to condemn you. And so I think you know, even if you're a parent like me who has kids where, you know, you're really before the age like this, that, where my mind goes and how can I even start right now? You know, my daughter, she's definitely the age where we where, you know, she understands that uh, the difference between boys and girls and so on, but even more than that, just make sure that, um, that we have a very open relationship, especially in terms of communicating. Um, addition to be a parent, you know, I'm a pastor. And so it's something that I have dealt with in my congregation had to counsel parents uh, whenever you know, a child comes out as a uh, LGBT and, uh, and, and friends whenever they have you know a child or sibling come out and i've given some similar advice but, but in your research and work what have you found to be some of the best responses that churches uh, can give and pastors for those who are listening yeah um you know i think maybe one place to start um and i got this from sam ferguson too is he said you know at the root of this the word trans 
um, we, it's change, right? It's looking for change. And at its very root, we're, we're all looking for change. That's like, that's even a Christian. We're look, Christians also look for transformation. Of course, we're looking for sanctification. We want to become more like Jesus. We want to, um, you know, completely different. He said, the difference is, um, a Christian changes from the inside out, like your inside changes and then, and then your outside actions change. And he said, this is, um, just a twisted version of that where, where people are taking the outsides of their bodies and trying to twist them and, and cut them and sew them to try and match what they think they're feeling on the inside. Um, but underneath there is a desire to not feel terrible anymore, a desire to um, be perfect almost, right? A desire to find comfort and goodness. And that's, I think, a place that you can start with someone is like, hey, I also want to find goodness. Like, I also want to be better. I also want to, you know, be good. And and I think... <clears throat> Christians have the only answer to that. You can't cut something off your body or add something to your body and think that's going to make you feel better. We know it doesn't. The um, anxiety and depression and mental illness rates among LGBTQ population, especially teens, is off the charts. In fact, the more that society accepts it, the higher it gets. Yeah. Um, like something like 75% or something crazy high like that. Say they feel persistent sadness and, and unhappiness, mm. which is... Um, devastating. So it's not what the medicine they're giving themselves isn't working, but we have the medicine that they need, which is Jesus. Yeah. I think that so many young people today feel isolated without community. They feel a lack of sense of purpose and calling on their life. And so they start looking for cheap substitutions of those things online. And then they're give this narrative from these, um, you know, from these trans ideologies, which says like, here is a really, here's a calling on your life here. Here's a sacrifice that you need to make in order to step up into your calling. And, you know, so one thing I think is, you know, how can we as churches better call our young people to, uh, to accept the, to accept Jesus cross, which, you know, comes with the grace and forgiveness of God, but also comes with a mighty responsibility to now follow him in obedience and the adventure that requires. And, and then whenever they experience his grace and love, which makes them know that they are loved just as they are, but then more than that, the, that great uh, calling to follow him. And if, if that then shield them from being uh, seduced by the cheap substitutes that the world wants to offer that's really good. I mean, if you're looking at something as good as Jesus, especially if, if you as parents can just, you know, like all out love God and they can watch you love God so much and see the way that he protects you and guides you and never leaves you and is always there. Um, you know, I, I think you're exactly right. Everything else kind of fades into the cheap substitute that it is when you have access to the real thing. Yeah. So we talked about the aftermath of the story for Grace. What about the aftermath of the story for you after you hit publish? <laughs> uh, what have the responses been been like to your article? Have you, uh, I'm sure a lot of praise because like I said, it was excellent. And so I really want to congratulate you on what an excellent article it was. 
Um, but you know, it, more than that, did have you received pushback? Have you received any uh, response? You know, critical responses from uh, the LGBT community or what maybe more progressive Christian community? That's a really good question because that's what I thought I was going to get hammered with, and it is possible that I did and didn't notice because. Um, I worked on another project earlier this year about, about um, girls and social media and in so doing got so scared that I left all the social media platforms. Um, wow. So right now my only communication with the outside world is um, at the end of my stories, there's a email address and then you can just email me. Um, and mm-hmm. so by far the most responses I have gotten are parents who are in the same situation. Um, that is overwhelmingly wow. the responses that I've gotten and they are sick with it. Um, I just feel, I'm praying for every one of them. It just feels, it breaks my heart to hear them. I did hear back from one girl who was surprised that I would um, think that God didn't love transgender people. And she said, but isn't it like transgenderism is like um, the sunset, right? You're not really one thing or another. You're not really the day or the night you're in between or like the beach. You're not really the shore and you're not really the water. You're that in between Space. And she felt like mm. transgenderism was beautiful like that, like an in-between space. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, other than her response, which was quite misguided. Um, yeah. It's, it's just been those other things. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we've got a few more minutes. I'd like, I'm interested to hear, you just made it off, offhand comment, but I kind of want to hear some more about it before we go. That article that you mentioned you said you did about uh what was it teen girls specifically social media and how that drove you to to get rid of all your social media uh uh, that's been a recurring theme on this show not getting rid of social media necessarily um i do i do you know recommend it for those who can do it but uh but you know just the influence of tech in our life we've done a lot of episodes um like that here in the show with uh, people like Jay Kim, Felicia Song, and others. Um, so, yeah, tell us about that before we go. Yeah. Um, what, what was that article about? What did you learn? Main takeaways? Yeah, it started with a book. Um, uh, I edited a book that came out last month, and it's called Social Sanity in an Insta World. And it talks sort of about how can we come, how can women um, think about social media from a gospel-centered point of view? And then out of that, um, someone said, you know what? It's totally different, though, if you're younger. And they were spot on. It is totally different if you're younger. Your issues are different. Um, the, the way you re- inter- interact with it is different. Um, you're shaped by it differently. If you come, mm-hmm. it matters how old you were when you got your first social media account. Yeah. Um, And so I was like, oh, well, then we could do a little follow-up. And so I did. It's also another podcast. It's called Scrolling Alone. And I talked to some girls who were out. They go to Berkeley, um, all raised in Christian families, all had parents who were careful with their technology. They limited how much time they could be on there. Um, They One girl, they didn't let her use the, the camera feature on her phone, or you had to use social media only in a shared living space with other people with you that you couldn't get your accounts until you were later in high school is when you could first get on Instagram. Like these girls, parents clicked every box of what you would read for advice on how to manage your kids and protect your kids against social media. And yet, Erin, these girls 
you know, they're in college now. So they've been on for like four years and they are so they're tangled up in it. And you can just hear it when they're, and they can see it themselves. And they're so honest about it. And this one girl is telling me, yep, I have this brand. Um, but I can't, and my brand is an inter interesting, like kind of an international traveler, but I can't ever think of anything to post in between. So then I thought, oh, I could, at least I could like go to the museum and then I could take a picture of me at the museum because that fits my brand. And then I could read this book because reading this right book and having this right opinion would all fit within my brand. And wow. another girl said to me, I love hiking, but I, I just choose my hikes. I noticed I was choosing my hikes based on what would look good in my pictures not on where I actually wanted to go, or I choose my restaurants based on what would be, be make a good picture for Instagram. Um, it is just so telling. And they said when they take breaks, one girl had been off for a couple months. Um, and she's like, I, I noticed I can think better. I noticed mm -hmm. that my thoughts are longer and more complex. Um, I can think about situations better. I can just uh, work through a book um, where before maybe I wouldn't even be able to get through a page or two without having to put it down. Yeah. Another girl said, when I take breaks, I notice there is less buzz in my head. And I was like, oh, you are just killing me. You're exactly right. They said everything. And when I said to them, if you notice this, why don't you just get off? This girl, she was so honest with me. And this is what scared me the most. She's like, I just, you know, all my favorite pictures of myself are there. Right. So she sort of curated a picture of herself. You know, and then I was thinking, but you have all those pictures on your phone. But what she has, they're all in one spot and people have liked them. Right. And yeah. I was about to say they, they have likes. They have likes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so she and she's like, and I have these followers, you know, and I, you know, I've been on for a while. So I don't know, you know, a couple thousand followers or something. And I just thought, that's why I, I don't want to be on here either. I feel like this is yeah. sucking away my time. And that's why I stay too, because I've created some sort of version of my life that I feel like is better and more interesting than my real life. And I don't want to let go of it. Um, and that's terrifying. So I wow. let go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know what you're saying about it matters what age. Uh, you got on, it matters what age you got on, but also like the, the period of time we were in, in, in the social media, uh, carousel progress we've been on, <laughs> uh, yep. yeah, because, you know, so like, for example, so I'm a millennial, I'm, I'm right smack dab in the middle, middle of the millennials. Um, my brother is only four years younger than me. It's actually three and a half. He's towards the end of the millennials. And the difference between us and especially like my friends and his friends and the way that social media impacted us was vastly different. And I even realized it until a couple of years ago, whenever me and him were talking and he was telling me what, uh, what dating is like now with the influence of social media and how there's these, there's this crazy social game that's going on with, you know, with Snapchat and Instagram and when you get posted on so-and-so's page and whenever they remove that and all these crazy things going on, you know, on top of that, I was already, <laughs> I was already picking at him and some of my other friends who are around his age, how, uh, they don't ask girls on dates. They start Snapchatting it, uh, snap, what's mm. it called? Snapchatting them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, so that, that's just like four years difference. Yeah. If you go another four years or, or, or more to, he was telling me about one of his friends, little brother who's in high school right now this this young man is so he's in high school he plays football he's the star of the team you know he he's the he's the guy who 
would have been, you know, the star jock in the in those '90s movies that we had growing up. <laughs> but he's uh, I forgot how old he is. He's old enough to have his driver's license. He doesn't have it. Doesn't want it because he never leaves his house. Because because everyone in this age group just sits at home, Snapchatting each other or TikToking each other or whatever else, whatever other apps there are. Yeah, it blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. Um, and mm-hmm. they're content to just stay at home, communicate with their friends with their phones, and if they ever do need to go somewhere, uh, have their parents drive. Just wow. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about maybe. 10 to 12 years difference oh, wow. you know, from whenever I was in high school and all those, all those values in high school for whenever I was there would have been the complete opposite. Right. Um, and yeah, I, all because of the influence of social media on, on these, uh, younger generations. No wonder they're lonely. Yeah, they really are. They're just alone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, um, I also wrote down once again, so speaking to the listeners, I wrote down those other resources you just mentioned, uh, social sanity and an Insta world. That's the book that you edited, right? And scrolling alone, that uh, podcast you did. Those are going to be linked in the show notes as well. For those of you guys who want to go check those out, uh, sounds like excellent, excellent resources too. Well, uh, that's about our time. And so thank you so much for coming on. We, we talked about some heavy topics, but, uh, but you know, uh, I really enjoyed it. And so, uh, thank you a lot. It helped me out. Uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. Anything that you want to leave our listeners with before we go? Um, yeah, I, I want to say this. Um, it's a little, it's just following up on that social media stuff. So I, I want to encourage you if you feel like you don't like social media anymore to take a break or to get off. I have been off for, maybe four or five months now. And I, it is really freeing. I, those girls are right. I can read more, even in a couple months, I can read more. Um, before I get bored, I'm, I'm more engaged in my everyday life. I'm more engaged in my own home and my own family. Um, all that time that social media was taking, not only when I was looking at it, but when I was thinking about it after I had quit looking at it is time now that I can do a load of laundry or think, even just think for a few minutes about like, oh, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? Or, oh, what would make so-and-so's day special? I know they had something big, you know, at work or whatever it is, is mm. um, I just feel like I'm, my own life is richer and, and more beautiful now mm. for what it's worth. I know it's hard to get off. Yeah, that's so true. So true. And I wholeheartedly agree. Once again, it's something we've talked about on this show uh, several times with some other guests. And uh, I, I recommend even if you don't get off of it forever to practice a digital detox, something that Cal Newport wrote about in his book, um, 30 days to get off. And I'm telling you at the end of those 30 days, you might just want to keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm going to have, I'll have your bio email, uh, in the, in the show notes so that if anybody wants to connect you, they can, since you don't have any social media, uh, for them to be able to follow you. Other than that, they, follow your work on tgc so uh yeah sarah thank you so much for the work you're doing i really appreciate it i've been benefited by it i wholeheartedly with that the listeners for this episode will be benefited benefited from it as well and thank you for your time with us here today on filter thank you so much for having me it's just been a pleasure to be here 
Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast.